hardcover, open book, or frame to frame. My name is Raina Cowan, and I will be here for the next half hour speaking about film. Today, we're going to talk about a wonderful series that is running through November 25th. It's called No Regrets, The Cinema of Marlon Riggs. Marlon Riggs was an Oakland-based filmmaker, really fun to be with, really intelligent, really thoughtful, and really mind-blowing in terms of his vision as a filmmaker. He was born in 1957, and he died of AIDS in 1994. So with me to talk about the series and about Marlon uh, are two people who are connected to him in different ways. Vivian Kleiman, who was a collaborator with him on a couple of his films and is a Bay Area documentary filmmaker. Welcome to KPFA. Thank you. And Brontes Purnell, who is a zinester, a writer, a dancer, and a musician, and is somebody who, in his work, uses the legacy of of Marlon Riggs and also lives in Oakland. Welcome to KPFA. Hi, how are you? (laughs) Good. So, uh, Brontes, why don't we start with uh, you, like that there's something that his legacy kind of embodied for you that made you interested in Marlon's work. How would you describe it? And what was the first time you saw one of his films? Actually, the first time I saw glimpses of one of his films, I was actually a teenager in Alabama and it was on the independent film channel and they were showing different, um, they're showing different segments of Tongues Untied. And I I remember they're so vivid, like, in my mind. And I remember I had not quite, I had not come out yet, but it was definitely on the front of my brain. But I knew that this was something that I was supposed to be paying attention to. They were airing it right next to um, Paris is Burning. Um, so it was always, I was always like... I don't know. It's one of those things that were, it was always in like kind of there, but I was. It wasn't until I was in my twenties in the Bay Area that I pieced together that that's what I was looking at. Oh, so you were in your teens, and what was it like actually seeing something that kind of reflected the life of being a black gay man? I didn't quite understand it because I mean I was in my town of like like Tran, Alabama, is like four hundred people, you know, and these films were decidedly about the urban black experience. So there was still kind of like this wall there um, and also not knowing any out people, but I knew that it was something that felt, there was something about it that just dripped with pleasure that I was just getting this kind of vicarious like tag off of, but it was it was exciting. Mm-hmm. So Vivian, how did you first get into contact with Marlon? Um, after Marlon graduated from the journalism program and got his master's degree at Berkeley, he started working for a little video company down the hall from my office building, in my office building. And um, he was quiet, a little shy, didn't talk to many people, but I'm not shy and I always talk to people. And pretty soon we were cracking jokes and laughing and became good buddies. He kept talking about this idea he had for a film and I said, Marlon, it doesn't sound like a film to me, but stop talking. And uh, here's a desk in my office, and here's an IBM Selectric typewriter. Why don't you stop talking and write a proposal and see if you can make the film? And out came Ethnic Notions, which won an Emmy, by the way. So uh, now it's interesting because you've worked with him uh, on other films, and uh, and then maybe we can jump ahead before you tell me about those other films that you also really were instrumental in trying to figure out how other people who hadn't watched his films 30 years ago 
watch them now. So what was that whole trajectory like? Um, one day early last year, I woke up and I realized that um, 2019 will be 30 years since Tongues and Tide was released. I thought, oh, my goodness, there's a whole generation that didn't know about Marlin and this landmark visionary work. Um, I'm going to do something. I'm going to see if anybody's interested in doing something about it. Uh, at first I thought, oh, I'll have a party and a screening at PFA maybe um, with the journalism program. And then I thought, well, you know, let's think bigger. It could be, you know, a whole activity, a whole you know, symposium like uh, SF State had done for uh, Cheryl Dunier, which inspired me enormously. Um, and then I thought, well, heck, why not do something across the country? And, you know, so and so forth and so on. Um, so I started asking uh, other colleagues if this was a good idea. I, my first meeting was uh, over at BAM PFA with Susan Oxtaby, um and um, the uh, director of the program. And um, she said she'd love to do a program with Marlon. She thought it was a great idea that the time was right to uh, reintroduce his work to a new audience. And uh, one thing led to another, and it was uh, an amazing series was created and launched uh, in New York and that now being shown at PFA. Oh, that's wonderful. So Tongues and Tide, is, I think, is a masterpiece. So Brontus, I'm going to ask you to be like a film reviewer for a minute. One of the things that is not on your list, What can you describe Tongues and Tide, what you noticed about it, or uh, have you seen it recently enough that you could do that? You know, I don't think I've seen it recently enough. I was excited when I first heard about that this was all going down. I was like, oh, like, I'm going to get a chance to see this on a big screen, uh. you know? Because I just, it feels like it's something I, yeah, like I remember from my teenage years as such an elemental to where I really do, it's kind of celebratory for me to see it like as this like adult gay man, like, and see what I would pick up on like now, you know? it. There's something about it that just lives in clip, but like, this mixtape that you watched, you know what I mean? Like mm. all the all the elements are there, like the sound, the the pleasure, everything that was going on. But I don't know, it's something. Yeah, it's something that I'm kind of. I purposely didn't I, like watch it before either because I really want to just sit in the theater and just see like how it explodes in my mind again. That makes sense. So, Vivian, can you talk about uh, Tongues Untied and describe it and describe? what the audiences are like now watching it? It's actually a little hard to describe the film itself because um, in putting together uh, this film, uh, Marlon completely exploded the boundaries of what we knew to be cinema at the time or documentary uh, filmmaking. Um, here was a guy who was rooted in uh, conventional um, documentary form and uh, trained very much in PBS format. And... Um, had an idea for uh, a 13-minute, maybe 15-minute, uh, kind of a slideshow kind of a thing, show-and-tell poetry by black gay men, uh, some images that would be uh, married to the poems, a little bit of music. Uh, that's how it started on the first day of filming. Uh, and, uh, it was a June. We went to a Festival of the Lake in Oakland on, on a certain day in June. And then uh, he was diagnosed with HIV, almost died from uh, kidney failure, and uh, completely it com that experience completely changed his idea about uh, the film. 
And it went from being a small little thing that was going to be shown in maybe three gay bars, one in Oakland, one in San Francisco, one in Washington, D.C., to something straight from the heart, pure poetry. You know, you were re- using the word mashup, I think, or something like that. Mixtape. Mixtape, yep, sorry. And um, that's pretty much how I would describe the film. There's, It's uh, a searing, poetic, raw, personal expression of uh, Marlon giving voice to his experience as well as to his pals, uh, black gay men, talking about being rejected in the black community for being gay and rejected in the white gay community for being black and trying to navigate those worlds. Uh, uh, And Marlon decided um, to do a piece that was not going to be explaining his life to the outsider. He was just giving voice to, you know, his pals about their own experience and not giving a hoot if anybody understood it, not trying to explain words or images or anything. And as a result, it's infused with this raw vitality that it otherwise wouldn't have had. So watching it, I've watched it now uh, with an audience, sold out audiences uh, from Berkeley to Brooklyn to London and beyond. And um, I can say that uh, these are uh, electric screenings because even today um, uh, that level of poetry and rawness uh, isn't very often um, replicated in other works. Wow, so it, it's interesting then that it is now being shown and you're saying that it still has the same aliveness that uh, maybe even a different kind of aliveness than back then. So tonight at the screening, uh, which is at BAM PFA this evening. Uh, I'm wondering what you expect, because it's really interesting, because not only did Marlon make the film in the Bay Area, but also he taught and went to the J School, the journalism school. So it's uh, kind of a coming home. Yeah, very much a coming home. You know, uh, PFA was, uh, Marlon considered PFA to be his living room. We were always uh, welcomed and embraced, and the audiences uh, that came to PFA were our favorite and his favorite. And um, uh, so coming, showing the film this evening will be enormously emotional for many people who knew and loved him and coming to see it again. And I imagine it will be the same for um, the new generation, like Brontes, uh, who will be seeing it on the big screen. You know, the thing about Marlon in particular, he understood the power of sound in cinema. And um, he knew that it's the soundtrack that goes straight to the heart. So it's not very often one has the opportunity to watch this film in an absolutely impeccable screening environment where the audio is going to be totally amazing and where Marlon poured his little heart into making that soundtrack as uh, delicate and complicated and, um, and passionate as possible. So hearing that, hearing her description of this film, what are you looking forward to? Well, all of it. And also, I mean, I'm familiar with Marlon's Marlon's work in like some other pretty cool ways too. Um, I am currently getting my master's at UC Berkeley. And so his student film, I think it's called Tell Me How Long the Train's Been Gone, is about Eli's Mile High, which is the club that my grandmother's brother owned. So, I mean, you can only see a student film at Berkeley, but it was so awesome to see, like, Marlon, who I consider an uncle of sorts, and his student documentary that had my actual granduncle in it. 
Um, so I, it was, and it like took me so long to like piece all these things together. Cause you know, I knew the Bay area had like this, you know, cool music, black alternative, you know, kind of art scene forever. But then just to see two points of my legacy, just meet right there. It's just awesome. My band actually performs at Eli's all the time too. Cause my friends bought it. So there's just all this history and all these um, pictures there. So, um, to see, to know that and then also see tongues untied like on the big screen i'm just gonna be like they're bawling i'm sure like oh <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, yes marlon would have would be just completely tickled to hear that story and and to see those that the braiding of uh, connections that you have it's amazing the film by the way the title is long train running and it actually showed like two weeks ago at pfa or maybe even just last week it's a great screening yeah, I was. Oh, yeah, I was. I was away, but yeah. Oh, I hate I missed that. <laughs> yeah, I can see. Yeah, I'll just go to the library and watch it all the time. I'll watch it three times this week to make up for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Vivian, like you worked on um, Tongues Untied. So, what was it like uh, collaborating with him on this film? I know that you also did color adjustment, where you were the producer for him, which was a more straight um, documentary style, different structure. So what was it like working with him in in the comparison between both of these films? Well, um, I think I'll focus on Tongues and Tide because that's the most incredible. Um, when he had gotten sick and he had the whole no- nature of the film changed, uh, at one point he realized that he had to be on camera himself. He wasn't planning on filming himself, but at one point he realized that it wouldn't be um, honest of him if he didn't put himself in front of the camera. So he started writing um, poems and stories and he had thoughts. And he came in one day and he asked if I would film him uh, doing that because um, he was trained at the journalism program to be behind the camera and he felt uncomfortable in front of the camera. And... um, Uh, he felt comfortable with me. So here's a person who had a mind of steel and knew exactly what he wanted. It was like, okay, this sentence, you're going to frame it from here to there, from shoulder to the top of my head. This next sentence, you're going to move in and you're just going to get my eyes and my lips. Now this other sentence, you're just going to be in my eyes. Okay, got it, Kleiman? Got it. So, and then I started listening to him and recording per his instructions, and I realized, you know, this is, maybe, maybe this was good on paper, but it's not sounding so good, or maybe this should be. The point is that with all of his detailed preparation, he still was open to feedback and became more of a back-and-forth kind of thing. Well, well, let's try this, let's try that. And um, it was really, really lovely. Wow. So Tongues Untied is playing this evening. And then on Friday, uh, there's kind of a mashup or a mix up of many uh, artists kind of thinking about Tongues Untied or about Marlon's work. So there's a piece by Julie Dash, a piece by Isaac Julian, a piece by Marlon, a piece by Thomas Allen Harris, and a piece by you, Brontes. Uh, so this is on this coming Friday at 4 p.m. So how do you think that your piece fits in with Marlon's vision? And what do you think you're in dialogue with him about as you in your work? Um, really, I think there's a very specific alternative Black queer vision to um, 
just to cinema um, and like a relation to art in general, where it's, um, I don't know, like a lot of my work is, I've, I've been told very singular um, in that even amongst like what is the dominant mainstream black queer conversation going on, you know what I mean? Even even something that specific still has like kind of overtones of, I don't know, wanting to kind of wanting to I don't sometimes dial itself down because of the gaze, you know, um, as in proposition as it is to like the white gaze. They, there's still there's so much money and prestige tied up in presenting as I don't know, presenting as correct or whatever. I think a lot of my work isn't really concerned with presenting as correct. It's about telling the story as you know it to be true, which I think is the spirit of Marlon's work. Um, it is the work, you know, it's the trouble, it's the work, it's all of it right in there. Um, I I also think it's just, um, I don't know, it's amazing to watch just um, some of the structure sh- struggles and layers of what it takes to get an alternative black narrative into the ether. And I think a lot of filmmakers like myself are still dealing with possibly a lot of the same um, a lot of the same challenges even today. Like I can make this; it can be for myself. But where is it going to go? Who's going to watch it? What will the impact be? And so, um, I feel kindred um with his work in that way. Hmm. Uh, we're speaking with both Brontes Purnell and Vivian Kleiman about the series at Pacific Film Archive that runs through November twenty fifth. No regrets. The cinema of Marlon Riggs. Now. Uh, I want to go back to you, Brontes, because you're saying that that there's something about sort of situating yourself, and you, you've done interviews with sort of a mainstream press. Uh, how do they respond to your work that would be different than something that I would ask? But like, what is it that they're noticing about what you do, and how you're carrying this conversation along? Um. Again, I think it's just singularity there. Um, I think I work with a voice that's kind of messy, you know. Um, it, it uses humor, you know. And sometimes I think, you know, when there's humor in a word, people try to treat humor as if it's not an intellectual rigor. But I think the reason humor is important because there's a lot of hope in humor. And hope is something that's very human and hope is something that keeps us it keeps us it's worth watching it's worth keeping us going um i think those are those are two of the ways <laughs> literally i could just i could write a whole like essay it could just be 30 minutes of like how i think this work um relates but um in terms of what the mainstream media focuses on i don't know i also think they focus on not very oh gosh, how do I say it so diplomatically? I think when the mainstream media wants to talk about black queer excellence, the conversation can sometimes stop. It can start and stop at, say, like RuPaul or the characters on Pose, who I all enjoy and who are immense, but these are just like, these are just drops. These are just drops in the pie. And I know so many young people who sit there and watch the show Pose, you know, um, but you always have to go back to the source material before there was like Pose, there was Tongues Untied, there was Paris is Burning, there was like this whole back catalog of, I don't know, awesome, majestic, black queer, like cinema that we have to pay homage to and at least have to know. We have to know the rudiments. We have to study about what their lives and times were. Hmm. Uh, So Vivian, 
it's funny that I talked about the mainstream because I think that Marlon had to really confront that not only was he making Tongues Untied uh, for as a personal film, but it became a very political film. Uh, can you tell us about sort of how that all went down? Yeah, um, well, at one point, um, someone from National Public Television approached Marlon and asked if they could broadcast the film. And Marlon said, are you crazy? <laughs> and then said, sure, but you can't change one frame. And Mark Weiss, the founder and creator of the POV series, said, I promise we won't change one frame. And uh, when it was scheduled uh, to be broadcast, um, it created a firestorm of reaction in uh, right-wing America. I think the Tea Party was just being formed sort of in reaction even to things like the broadcast of Tongues and Tide and uh, all that was going on then in, in reaction to uh, the arts. Um, Marlon um, was not happy to have all this attention from um, mainstream press. Washington Post was you know, giving it space, New York Times. Um, but at the same time, um, he valued it because it gave a lot of attention to the, the film and it meant a lot more people were gonna be paying attention to it, which is what happened. So um, it was a very complicated moment and um, uh, I can say now that there's a possibility of it being rebroadcast on national PBS. Uh, we are in discussion right now with them and it's looking like it might happen. And uh, I have to say it because um, I'm so proud of they're, they're even considering uh, doing it because these are also trying times politically and um, it's going to create, I hope, another firestorm. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're speaking uh, about the cinema of Marlon Riggs. Now, uh, Vivian, you're also the on the board that is uh, that deals with Marlon and that you actually arranged to have the legacy of his work kept. It's like at Stanford, right? So that you've been... Th- kind of doing many different, um, I don't know, d- different strategies to keep his name out there. So uh, what's what compelled you? Uh, it's very simple. I just loved Marlon, and Marlon changed my life. Um, I don't view the world the same as I would have if I didn't have Marlon as my buddy. And uh, I w- it was such a privilege and an honor to uh, for all of us who are friends of his uh, to be in relationship uh, with him. I loved when he would uh, uh, come in the office and fuming about something, he'd say a film that, you know, or Spike Lee or you know, <laughs> whatever was, you know, getting him hot around the collar. He wouldn't really show that part of himself to uh, many people until after the Tongues and Tide uh, brouhaha. Um, but I really feel, to be honest, I just do it because I love Marlon and I want his, um, legacy to be uh, not just uh, preserved and well-maintained, which is why the Board of Signifying Works, Marlin's production company, um, uh, chose Stanford as the repository for his material. Uh, They have the pesos to maintain it and preserve it, and it's accessible to the public. Um, We also, at the same time, uh, created a scholarship uh, or a fellowship at the journalism program in Marlin's name. There's the Marlin Riggs Fellowship uh, to help... um, uh, students who are struggling financially to make it possible for them to attend the journalism program. So um, it's just been enormously uh, grateful. And as I would have to also say part of this whole um, 
Taking care of Marlon has impacted my colleagues because many of them now are going around and thinking about archiving their materials, which is great. Um, many of them are doing retrospectives of their work. Isaac Julian got inspired to um, uh, uh, re-release Looking for Langston, for example, as a result of the energy that we've put into uh, Marlon's uh, tributes. Um, so it's not just a matter of preserving Marlon, but also helping to inspire a whole generation of filmmakers to uh, take care of their material and, and reintroduce their work to other people. But in particular, I had hoped that Marlon's friends, who are no longer with us, would have um, together kept their stuff in an archive. But, uh, you know, those guys uh, just couldn't think about life after they were gone. And uh, unfortunately, that was one a goal that I had that I wasn't able to accomplish. Mm. So, uh, you know, we just have a, a few minutes left. And Brontes, I'm wondering, like, hearing all this, uh, well, now you're, you're, you're getting going and you're doing things like Marlon in uh, Tongues and Tide uses dance and uses poetry. You use dance and poetry in your work. And uh, so there's a lot of, I don't know what it's like, this, um, I don't know if it feels like a pressure on your shoulders to maintain something, or do you just feel like it's more like a freedom to think of his ideas and um, just be in dialogue? Um, well, I'm an, I'm, I'm an independent filmmaker, so I, I don't, once I don't know once something once something is like in the margins like that I feel like what I mostly feel is the freedom mm -hmm. or the pressure to not conform and I don't know that when I look at when I look at tongues untied it's that's the most like I don't know that's the thing the element of it that's loudest to me it's just like I'm gonna use these nonlinear ways to tell a narrative and really being able to lean in on that is just um, I don't know it's a great. It's a great, great freedom. I mean, <laughs> we pay the price by being broke, independent filmmakers. But I mean, that's also that's the part of the freedom you get. So, I, I don't know. I look to the future, and I'm often just elated at the you know the words and the art to be made. Great, no regrets. The the cinema of Marlon Riggs it runs through November 25th. Tonight, uh, Tongues Untied is showing. Vivian Kleiman will be in discussion. Friday, October 25th, Brontes Purnell will be uh, in discussion, and there'll be the showings of these multiple films, short films. Ethnic Notions is showing on November 1st, and then there's uh, Cheryl Dunye's Watermelon Woman, who, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a wild film, and it was sort of done at the same time, and uh, interesting connection. So a lot of very interesting films that are coming through this series. I want to thank both of you for being here to to talk about Marlon's legacy and uh, the future of Marlon's ideas and where they're going. So Vivian, thank you. Thank you, Raina. Thank you so much. Uh, if you want more information, you can go to the BAM PFA website and they are located in downtown Berkeley at the corner of Oxford and Center Street. Uh, this has been another edition of Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan. I'll be back talking about film. Thanks so much for listening.
We finally kiss goodnight Now I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm Oh, the weather outside is frightful But the fire is so delightful And since we've no place to go Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow It doesn't show signs of stopping And I brought some corn for popping The lights are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight I'll hate going out of the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be one Fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbyeing But as long as you love me so Let it snow Hi, I'm Mitch Jesserich, host of Letters and Politics on KPFA, thanking you for making our 70th year of broadcasting one of our strongest. Your generous donations, you who became a monthly sustainer, and you who increased your yearly pledge amount, and you who joined our community and donated KPFA for the very first time, I want to say thank you. As the Bay Area's truly listener-supported radio station, our signal strength and financial stability depends 100% on you. If you're a listener that appreciates how KPFA PFA informs, entertains, and introduces new ideas and music. Please consider making a year-end donation today at kpfa.org. Thank you. You're listening to 94.1 KPFA, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. One, two, three. 